Thank you for tuning in to another dope episode of the Bakari Sellers Podcast. Like today is a special episode for me, guys, because this is an episode where I learn a lot. This is why we started the show, because we get to uplift people that you may not know, but things that you need to pay attention to. So today I have the CEO and founder of Quayley TV. It's a new streaming service. You'll you listen, you'll you'll find it to be just as dope as I think it is. Her name is Deshauna Spencer. But before I get to Deshauna, I wanted to talk about something that's been bothering me. Uh, the most recent attempt by Republicans to undermine our democracy and steal an election. In case you missed it on Tuesday, the Wayne County, Michigan Board of Canvassers, the local election board of Michigan's largest county responsible for certifying the county's election results, sought to oppose the certification of the county's election results. You know, the one where all the black folk live in Detroit. They eventually realized they were being assholes and they reversed their decision and the results were certified. And just when there were theories floating around that the state's Republican-led legislature would place Trump-friendly electors in place to further undermine the results in Michigan by casting Michigan's Electoral College votes for Trump, Republican Senate Majority Leader Mike Shirky killed the idea. But what if State Senator Shirky were like the Republicans on the Wayne County Board of Canvassers? And that's my issue. The Electoral College should be abolished for a million reasons, and this election is stress-testing the guardrails on our democracy. We'd always assume that if your state voted for a candidate and those election results were certified, the state legislature would select electors that would vote the same way the voters did in that state. It sounds simple, right? It is until you introduce Trumpism into the equation. Because when Trumpism is what is motivating people, they don't care what a law says and they trample over norms like electors following the will of the people. Instead, they do what happened temporarily in Wayne County, which was to deny certifying clear results of a majority black electorate. And had Mike Shirky been a hardcore Trumper, we'd have real concerns that the electors would be Trumpers too. As the state's Democratic governor Secretary of State and Attorney General can't really stop Trump-friendly electors from voting how they want. If all our democracy has to rely on is Republicans with the conscience, simply put, we're fucked. There simply aren't enough of them in the age of Trump to be trusted to do anything other than expand their own power. That's why the real rule of law conversation for Democrats is making sure that actual laws instead of norms that rely on both parties acting in good faith are in place to force people to do the right thing. So when things like this happen, you have something to take into a court and force people to do what they're supposed to do. It's sad that we have to stay in the streets and in the courts to get anything done in the age of Trump, but we do. And it's why both our activism in the streets and getting the right judges on benches everywhere is probably the most important thing we can do so long as Republicans are infected with Trumpism. Norms simply aren't enough when the other party is run by Rudy Giuliani's lawyering, Donald Trump's insanity, and Lindsey Graham's corruption, and assholes like the ones on the Wayne County Board of Canvassers. We need more Republicans like Michigan State Leader Mike Shirky and Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger. But I think we all know that there's simply not enough of them to go around. So abolish the Electoral College and let's get this election certified. And that's that on that. Now on to this fascinating conversation I have with Deshauna Spencer. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Technique with Tom. Slicing an English muffin with a butter blade? Boulder Dash! Just pull apart with your hands and marvel in the nooks and crannies splendor. For each one is unique like a snowflake. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. 
This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. I want to welcome everybody to another episode of the Bakari Sellers podcast. We have Deshauna Spencer with us today. What's going on? How you doing? I'm good. How are you? Happy Wednesday. Y'all can't see this, but what shirt you got on? My streaming service is My black. My streaming service is black. Exactly. I love it. I love it. Hey, well, this is going to be a dope show. Uh, I'm not sure how many of you all are familiar with Quayley TV or Deshauna Spencer, but we're going to learn all about that. But before we go there, I want you to talk to me about the arc of your career. You're a journalist by training. So walk me through from when you finished your work at Jackson State to your work founding Quayley TV. And shout out to Jackson State University and Deion Sanders over there. Yeah, it's funny. Jackson State's getting a lot of press lately because of Deion Sanders. And the alarm, we're, we're super excited about him being on board. Yeah, so um, my background's in journalism, studied at Jackson State University. And actually, when I was a student there, my first job was working for the Clarion Ledger. I was starting, I was an obit writer, obituary. Oh, my goodness. That's, that's kind of gloomy, isn't it? <laughs> but you know what? My other friends are working at, like, Discovery Zone and McDonald's, and I was working at the Clarion Ledger. Yeah, <laughs> so true, true. It's, it's all good. Um, but it was really a, really a really great opportunity for me to really learn about the industry, writing, um, getting that pace of being a journalist. And I ended up doing that and becoming eventually like a general summer reporter while in college. When I graduated, I was offered a job there, but the whole daily news thing was, I wasn't sure if it's something I really wanted to do, maybe because I have a lot of empathy. So um, it's, it's crazy. So I, years later, I'm taking this test and they were at, and they like do these tests by your personality. And the person who had to hire me was like, we're not sure about hiring you because your empathy is the highest we've ever seen, which I, I kind of <laughs> knew that. But writing obits and writing about the depressing things of, of daily news, it really got to me. And so I then take the job and I end up going to the Oakland Tribune in Oakland, California. I spent about six months there. And that's when it kind of sealed the deal for me that I didn't want to do daily news. I was Oakland, a and reporter. Oakland's different. Oakland's different than than Clarion than the Clarion Ledger for sure. Yeah, you know, <laughs> but you know, the the things that were similar was like the stories I was writing about. Most likely, it was about young black people being killed. Like that yeah. was like my job. And I would interview moms like, "Hi, I'm sorry for your loss," but and that was the same story whether it's Jackson, Mississippi, or Oakland, California. Literally, it was the same thing. And personally, I've lost a cousin to gun violence. I've lost an uncle to gun violence. When I was 18, my boyfriend at Jackson State was murdered. So for me, it was very personal and it brought up a lot of memories whenever I did these interviews. And I was trying to figure out, like, I love journalism. I love media. How do I how do I change the media landscape 
instead of focusing so much on death, doom, and gloom, but celebration and impact. That was kind of what I was thinking even like back then. And so when I left the Oakland Tribune, I ended up doing media in the Bay Area, leaving there, um, then going down south back to Tennessee, working for a weekly paper as a features writer. And then from there, my life changed when I went to Buffalo, New York, and I became an AmeriCorps VISTA volunteer. And for those who don't know about AmeriCorps, it's basically like the Peace Corps before America. And I ended up working in the inner city community in Buffalo, getting to know the community very well, working with the youth and the light bulb hit off and really about marrying journalism with, with impact. And my first ideal was online magazine, which I did eventually start once I moved to the DC area. That's so dope. I mean, in addition to being the CEO of Qualey though, you're also a filmmaker and documentarian yourself. Who are some of your influences? You know, it's very interesting because when I think about like influence, there are so many different people. The first influence for me was not really a documentarian, but a filmmaker, and it's Robert Townsend. So when I think about film and impact, his film, Hollywood Shuffle, I always tell people that to me, that's like one of the most brilliant films ever. And it really encompasses sort of my mission for Queen TV is to dispel myths about the Black experience. Hollywood Shuffle, I watched over and over again as a child and it kind of put me on the path to wanting to start this streaming service to really come back what he was talking about in his film a long time ago. That's pretty dope. You know, I came across one of your documentaries, um, Mom Interrupted, mm-hmm. um, a documentary you did about the lives of seven Black mothers in Washington, D.C. who lost their children to gun violence. Talk about what you took from that project. And saying that you had this level of empathy, I'm pretty sure that it it probably took a lot out of you as well when you were doing this. Talk about that documentary. And for everyone who hasn't seen it, I challenge y'all to go watch it. It's it's a dope, dope project. Yeah, so Mom Interrupted came about, as I mentioned earlier, my own experiences of being a cop reporter and also losing people myself to gun violence And so at first, I sort of tried to run away from the idea of talking about these stories. But a couple of years ago, I was at CBC, as we call it here in the D.C. area. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. (laughs) And um, there was a mother who's based in Chicago, and she was talking about whenever someone's killed, they always talk to the clergy, talk to law enforcement, talk to the the people in judicial system, but they never talk to Black moms. And those are the ones you should be talking to. And the light bulb hit off to, to this documentary, like right then and there. And believe it or not, like literally that night when I said to the universe, I want to do this documentary, I got an email from this organization called A Mother's Tea. And I've never got the email before. I've never gotten it since. And they invited me to this event of mothers and dads who lost their children to gun violence in D.C. And the event was in two days. So I emailed them and said, can I come? And they're like, yeah, sure. And I ended up talking to like 20 or 30 moms, but ended up choosing seven of them for, for the film. What was really the whole point of the documentary was to really, from a mother's perspective, what that loss really means and Mm -hmm. and how, what do they want to see change? Like what what do they think will will help, you know, combat this issue that we see um, so many times over and over again from a mom's perspective versus what, you know, people who are in leadership, but everyday people who didn't expect this to happen. And now they're faced with this challenge and they're trying Have to Have you seen, I mean, it, it just, you know, doing the work, spending time with these moms at that time and all the way to now, have you seen any of those changes that those moms wanted to see actually happen? I mean, that's kind of a mm-hmm. depressing ass question. No, I mean, as you see, <laughs> things keep happening over and over yeah. again. So no, I, I think that 
people aren't talking to the moms, but I think like we're seeing with a lot of other moms, they're taking a stand, they're, they're becoming activists themselves and they're trying to make the change instead of waiting around for someone to, to take action. So one of the coolest things, and we'll, we'll move on because I, I could go down that path but all, all day. One of the coolest things about you and one of the reasons we brought you on this podcast is to talk about Quelly TV. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's really, it's Black-centered from around the world. I mean, it is so dope that you have a streaming service that talks about these things from around the world. But in your words, what is Quayley TV? Authentic Black stories. I mean, that's basically what we do. That's curated. I started Quayley TV because I wanted to see myself. I wanted to see my brother represented. I wanted to see my dad, everyone, people who I love and cherish. I didn't see in mainstream media. And also I wanted to celebrate our stories. I was really tired of what may, how mainstream media pictured the Black experience. And, you know, I know it seems kind of crazy to say this, but I feel like the media is, is so controls how other people see us, the Karens right. and all the others. And so like, how can we counteract that by creating a platform that shows a different side of what it means to be Black, what it means to be a Black man, what it means to be a Black family, what it means to be African, what it means to be Black in Brazil. Like, we want to change that, that mindset. We know we can't change everyone. There will, be, there will be people who always see Black people one way, but my hope is that we will be one of the platforms that can do that. And then for us to see ourselves differently, because sometimes we've even bought the Kool-Aid and how the world perceives us. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Talk to me about the challenge of creating a content platform that elevates the global Black experience, as I'd imagine that there are barriers you encounter, like capital access that yeah. every Black founder encounters. But talk specifically about the challenges you've encountered in creating a platform like yours that's so unique in the marketplace of streaming services and content platforms. Yeah, honestly, Funding has probably been the biggest barrier, as we all know, when it comes to, especially for Black women, we get 0.2% of funding. Going into this, I had no idea that that was a huge gap. I was I was shocked, <laughs> to say the least. And so um, initially, early on, I was so focused on getting money, trying to raise money, that I was thinking that that would be the only way we could succeed. But I basically changed our mindset and say, you know what, whether or not we make money from this, when are we, we get investments from this, how can we make this work? And so we've been building very slowly um, based off of that premise. Like we can change the world. We may not get a $10 million investment, but we know what we're doing is important. And so that's been the biggest challenge, number one. Number two, changing mindsets about yeah. Black content in general, right? Well, it's I mean, so, just just Black things, because people mm -hmm. always, this. you know, I, I don't know, we say it in law all the time, but you know, if I tell a client something and then a white lawyer tells the client something, it's like his ice is colder than mine. So, I mean. <laughs> exactly. Right. Yeah. I don't get it. Even like, even like, our, like people like, I don't know what is with my, my credit card, will it go through? Or is this shoddy? Or is this real? Or we're a real company. I'm a real person. We're not trying to swindle you. Like, I don't get it. Right? <laughs> it's like trying to even convince. Questions they don't ask Netflix, right? They don't exactly. ask. Yeah. But they will ask. Yeah. That's crazy. Or like uh, with Disney, when Disney, when they first launched, they had some major problems. I, I think their site was down. Our site's down for two seconds. Yeah, I know it's why, you know, <laughs> Black folks, you know, not all. So not all say that, but, we you know, there are those who say that. And we just sometimes just don't get the same grace that larger mm -hmm. platforms get. And I think we have to trust ourselves. We do have more. to trust ourselves. We have to trust ourselves a lot more. My friend Charlemagne the guy says that all the time. How can people find and support Quayley TV? 
So yeah, go to our website. Um, it's kweli.tv. Uh, we're on Roku, Apple TV, Amazon Fire, Android TV, iOS, Google Play for Android. And we're on Comcast and Distro TV. And so despite not getting funding, we've been able to onboard all those platforms. $7 a month too, right? Five ninety nine a month, so it's cheaper. <laughs> I know. I mean, that's so. I mean, that's so dope. And it, I'm, you know, as people now are moving over to this this new. Have you seen growth during the pandemic quarantine time where people are are kind of moving over to uh, the Roku's and the the Fire, all of these other things, streaming services? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, since the pandemic, we've definitely seen growth, not just from within our community, but even outside of our community, where people are trying to understand the black experience a little yeah, bit more. Yeah. So that has been really powerful. Literally we've grown like a hundred plus percent in the last couple of months. Just oh, that's crazy. Yeah. I know crazy. Cause I went, you know, went to 2020 excited and then the pandemic hits and you kind of like, Oh no. And then all of a sudden there's this big growth. And I think it was part of pandemic and then part maybe, you know, because of what happened with George Ford and Breonna Taylor, that there are those who are really trying to understand our culture more in in a way that they may not have seen in, on other platforms. To all the teachers and educators who, uh, we have a bunch of educators who listen to the podcast. I hope that you all challenge your school districts to at least get a subscription to your schools. This is a dope uh, teaching uh, tool as well. Talk to me about teaming up with comedian Lil Rail, who is now your director of comedy programming. how that happened? Mm-hmm. That's a big name yeah. right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Head of comedy. Yeah, so Lil Rail, he reached out to us. He learned about Clay me via Twitter love what we're doing and said, Hey, I want to be a part of this. And we were just talking, you know, back and forth about ways he can get involved. And he noticed that our comedy section, there really isn't much to it. Documentaries, <laughs> dramas. I mean, we got that a lot, but comedy, <laughs> tumbleweeds is like, you know, y'all showing so them old, y'all showing them old masterpiece specials over there. <laughs> no, 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 no master- <laughs> I know, went to Jackson State and not that far from it, but uh, no masterpiece. It's still from, from film festivals. But just not a lot of, of uh, comedies. And so at a time where we're going through all this is happening in the country and around the world, we need to laugh more than ever. So I'm really excited to be partnering with Laurel. He has so many amazing new projects he's going to bring on. There's some scripted content that he's looking to create. There's independent content creators that he's been looking at and we're going to be adding to the platform. And so he's going to have his own dedicated channel up-and-coming comedians, up-and-coming oh, wow. filmmakers and, and creatives, as well as his original programming. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on Cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on Cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Technique with Tom. Slicing an English muffin with a butter blade? Boulder Dash. Just pull apart with your hands and marvel in the nooks and crannies splendor. For each one is unique like a snowflake. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. This episode is brought to you by 7-Eleven. Cold slurpy drinks and a hot summer day are a match made in heaven and your favorite refreshment just got even better. Let's talk about 7-Eleven's $1 small Slurpee drink with seven rewards. It's the classic frozen fizzy treat you can't get anywhere else. I'm a blue raspberry guy. Just know that about me. Know that I'm going to be going forward. Anytime there's a drink like this, I'm in on the blue raspberry. If you're feeling thirsty, 
feeling thirsty right now, how about going to visit a 7-Eleven valid through 1725? 7-Eleven has the right to end this promotion early, plus tax, participating U.S. stores, see app for full terms, all rights reserved. So, I mean, just for somebody who's, you know, thinking this through, how, how do you how do you find content for Quayley TV? From film festivals. So we source all of our films from mostly Black film festivals from around the world. That's how we get our content. People can also submit content to us as well. So that's basically how we get the bulk of our content. And the reason we focus so much on film festivals is because you mentioned like the water is colder, you know. So yeah. we wanted people to see like this has been the festival. It's won awards. So it's worthy of your time. That's a good, I mean, that's a good hook. Walk the listeners through the landscape of the marketplace for streaming content services. And why is Quayley TV so different from platforms that may feature Black content, but that aren't focused solely on Black content and Black creators? You know, interesting, the landscape is changing so much. I think because of this summer, or we're calling the renaissance when it comes to Black culture, a lot of the platforms are focusing more on Black content. And I think that's important. What really makes Quay TV different is that we're a platform that is not focused solely on the names that have already made it. You know, I think for a lot of well-known Black creatives, they've gotten these first look deals, but the up-and-coming filmmakers, the ones who don't have the connections, they're still being overlooked. So with Quay TV, what we're doing, we're really being a space for up-and-coming, amazing, promising filmmakers who don't have name recognition, don't have connections, don't have a network to amplify their work. And hopefully they can get those first look deals eventually, you know, from either either bigger platforms. Mm -hmm. We want them to succeed, but other platforms are basically ignoring these up and coming filmmakers and we're shining a light on them. I mean, that brings me to my next question, because right now you're you're I mean, do you see yourself as being in a content race, especially because everyone is competing for black content now, the Hulus and the Netflixes. So talk about that content race and what it's like competing as Quayley with some of the larger streaming services like Netflix and Hulu for black content? For us, our goal is quality versus quantity. You know, I don't, Netflix spends billions of dollars on original programming. Some hit, some or miss. Our goal is to be a space, not necessarily creating original programming quite yet because it's very expensive to do that. But there are so many amazing independent films and documentaries from film festivals that are now overlooked because everyone's racing to create original programming. And so, our goal is to have 10 to 15 amazing films, award-winning, that have been to film festivals that no one's ever seen before, and really amplify that and not really worry about the rat race of trying to compete. Yeah. You know, we see ourselves, some people say, oh, I'm going to subscribe to Netflix because of you. Okay, thanks. But we see ourselves <laughs> as, as a compliment, you know, like a complimentary public, um, you know, to like a Netflix or Hulu. Um, they're catering to everyone. And even from sometimes from a white lens, even though they may have black creators, like we're black on everyone who looks at the platform, they're black. We want to make sure. So we know that our content would be minus the, the stereotypes and some of the things that the other platforms have gotten deemed for because maybe it's been, you know, questionable the type of films they put on the platform. We, we don't really have that issue. So I thought about this this morning, right? As I was mm-hmm. doing my morning workout, I, Talk about the economics of the streaming business for a second, because mm-hmm. uh, it's ad free, if I'm not mistaken, like Netflix and your subscriptions. I, I thought it was seven, but it's six. So I, that's, yeah. that's even doper. <laughs> for comparison, Hulu without ads is twelve dollars a month and Netflix without ads is fourteen dollars a month. 
How do you strike the balance between pricing your subscriptions to ensure you have fresh content while also ensuring that uh, you have access? And how do you determine when to introduce ads to help defray the cost of your content acquisition and building out your platform? That's a really, a really good question. So one of the things that's been really important to me is creating access, not just here in the U.S., but outside of the U.S. And so when we initially started Clear TV, we created an, a survey asking customers, you know, what they felt comfortable with paying, you know, for, for the platform. And it was between $4.99 and $6.99. So you know, we ended up going with $5.99 just because it was a good sweet spot. If you look at other black focused platforms like, you know, BT Plus, I think they're $9.99, but like Brown Sugar, which focuses on black exportation, I think they're $4.99. Urban Blue Channel is $4.99. And they're owned by white companies. Like we're, I own Clay TV, right? And so um, right now with 60% of our revenue going to our filmmakers, at least was with 40%. Oh, that's dope, that, yeah. So that down the line, we may see ourselves, you know, having to increase prices. But right now, we just want to be able to get in, in the game and we want access. We want people to be able to access the platform, especially at a time when there, there are there's economic hardships. In addition to that, we do have a ad supported portion on our platform. It's a live stream. It's on our. Yeah, <laughs> it's clearly live. It's 24 hours. You can't rewind it. You can't fast forward it. You can't download it. It is, it is what it is. You come in 20 minutes in, that's what you get, you know, because <laughs> it's free. But it's another way for us to get people to come to the platform. And it is ad supported. And that's on our, it's on our website, our apps, and it's on Comcast as well. So that's another revenue stream for us that we see coming in the future. And honestly, as we start creating content, there may be a price increase over time. But right now, our focus is creating an opportunity for people to see what we have. So I want you to put your creator hat on um, Mm -hmm. and talk about the challenges of Black writers, filmmakers, and creators in getting Black stories seen and told. And why is Quayley TV or why are the Quayley TVs of the world so important in telling these stories? Because I can, I mean, I'm trying to dabble in Hollywood and I don't know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's so hard to even get a phone call back. So, I mean, just as, as a creator yourself, talk about the difficulty and why you're necessary and important. That's a very good point. One of the challenges, like, for instance, last year we did a, a film screening series and we stopped in L.A. One of our filmmakers, he talked about this film. It did. He made a short. It did really, really well. And then he wanted to make a feature. And of course, we make a feature that's bringing in studios, big studios and stuff like that. He wanted a dark-skinned woman to play the role because basically the way the film was made, it wanted to highlight the challenges that a dark-skinned Black woman faced with this particular challenge. Hollywood wanted a light-skinned, well-known actress to play the role. And because of that, they decided to turn down the project. And that's been over four years. And the, the project is now dead. That's a perfect example of oh, wow. why Koli TV exists. Because... We're not a studio that says, well, we need to see what, you know, the audience, the global audience or the crossover audience. No, we want to tell the authentic story. We want we want the filmmaker to have the freedom to say, this is my vision for the film. And this is why it's important to have this actress versus that actress. Right. That is what makes it different. And so that's why we exist. And I'm looking forward to the day when we will have the funding to be able to greenlight a lot of projects that maybe Hollywood may be too afraid to take on because they may look at it from, you know, well, you know, from a crossover audience perspective, we're not <laughs> sure. That's my, 
big studio exec boy. That's your exec. That's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's dope. So let me ask this. As we wrap up, if someone wanted to advertise on Quayley, what should they do? Um, go to sales at Quayley.tv. Uh, we will gladly walk you through the process on how you can have your ad on our live streaming channel. And are you taking investors? And if so, how can potential investors find you? So we are working on that right now. There's a company called Republic. It's basically like a crowd equity type of mm-hmm. um, platform. And so we should be going live, going live in early December. And so we're trying to raise between uh, 350 to 1.1 1, 1 million. And so once we go live, we'll be making an announcement. And, and everyday people, they can actually invest in Quality TV. They will get a piece of Quality TV. So it's not like a crowdfunding platform where you get a T-shirt and the, and the thank you email. You oh, yeah. Get a you, get a, you get some you get some mum, uh, some wings with mumbo sauce. Uh, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and as we wrap up, the last thing I want to ask you is remind folk again, how can people find Quayley TV and support what you're doing? Sure. Go to www.kweli.tv. We have over 400 titles. We work with over 300 filmmakers across the globe. We have content from all over the world that celebrates us. And um, our handles are Quilly TV on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. What's next for you personally? Are you just you just building this up? This and it's going to be the <laughs> the next thing. What's next for you? You have such an amazing background. Tell such an amazing story. What's next? Right now, I'm just focusing on building Quilly TV, growing it, being a, a, the space for independent Black filmmakers. Uh, Deshana, you're so dope. This story is amazing. This is one of my favorite uh, shows. This is one of my favorite episodes. This is why we have this show so that we can uplift people and things that people are doing. I hope everybody goes out and spends that uh, $5, $6 to add Quayley TV uh, to your streaming packages. Thank you so much for joining us. And I hope you have a blessed day today, Deshana. Thank you. Thanks for having me. This is, this was really fun. Thank you again to Deshauna Spencer for that conversation. And y'all make sure y'all go out and subscribe to Quayley TV today. Before I go, I've got one last thing that I wanted to share with y'all. And that's a word of caution to my progressive friends as more senior leadership and cabinet appointments are expected for a new Biden administration, particularly the black and brown ones. In case you missed it, Louisiana congressman and former chairman of the Congressional Black Caucus, Cedric Richmond, was named to lead the Biden White House Office of Public Engagement. This office is the face of the president's agenda to industry, advocates, and the country. Predictably, progressive organizations pointed to Mr. Richmond's donations from the fossil fuel industry and his vote score from the League of Conservation Voters and sought to depict him as a puppet for fossil fuel interests. Now, as some of you might imagine, I don't agree with them, and here's why. First, Richmond represents a district full of oil refineries and the oil industry something far beyond his control and that it predates him representing this district. So the climate change conversation isn't just one of fossil fuel consumption, but one where many of his constituents' jobs and livelihoods are on the line, even if he's sympathetic to the concerns of climate activists. I note here that Richmond was a co-sponsor of the 100% Clean Energy Act, a measure that would set a 100% clean energy goal by 2050 and a measure that the fossil fuel industry opposes. And while many of us support the direction of the Green New Deal and its 100% new clean energy standard by 2030, the Green New Deal itself isn't even a bill, it's a resolution. In other words, it's just principles and objectives, not something that could be law even if you voted on it today. 
So the only real bill that established a national clean energy standard that had a chance of moving this Congress, Congressman Richmond was a co-sponsor. That's not what a puppet does. Second, he ain't being appointed to run the EPA. He'll be supporting the president's agenda on climate and everything else, not his own. While far from perfect, his record on a host of climate and energy issues is what you expect a Democrat from Louisiana. But the idea that Richmond was singularly have some kind of influence on climate that would eclipse the president-elect's own agenda or the EPA administrator's agenda is simply crazy. Note to my progressive friends here, you don't have to go five wide on every hire you don't like. And keep your powder dry for the real fight. And that's why getting Raphael Warnock and John Ossoff elected or having to fight Mitch McConnell for another two years. Cedric Richmond leading the Office of Engagement is the least of your concerns. Third, and this is key, Think twice before you go hard publicly on the most senior black person in the Biden White House. This is why the progressive movement hits a brick wall when it comes to black voters above 35 or so. Richmond is a black success story, a Morehouse man that went back to his hometown to serve and who was led admirably and progressively on a host of issues for years. His voting record is consistently liberal, even if he's not the most progressive member of the House Democratic Caucus. He's not in this role because he's the person progressives like. He's there because he knows Washington, he knows how to get things done, and he knows how to get stakeholders to the table to get things done. Maybe the response to Richmond's role is you look forward to working with him and pressing the Biden agenda on climate without seeking to characterize him as a pawn for the fossil fuel industry. It's that kind of rhetoric that ignores context and it turns off otherwise sympathetic folks from your causes. It's also not how you want to start your engagement with the Office of Public Engagement if you want to shape climate and energy policy. Well, that's it for this week's episode. I will see you all next Monday.